So now we're getting live. So here's what I'm going to do. I've got over 20 questions here from financial things that have happened this week. Um, this should keep me on the spot in terms of uh, how well I'm actually doing in terms of staying up to date on these things. But let's go ahead and get started. And we'll see where this takes us. So the first question, ah, I remember this. So I did a post on XRP this last week. Uh, for those of you, just to catch you up, for those of you who don't follow, why is it doing this? For those of you who don't uh, follow some of my updates and posts that happened throughout the week, and just to keep you updated on what actually happened, there's this company called XRP, which is a blockchain-based uh, cryptocurrency company that executes basically they're they're asking and even considering being like a bridge for the banks to help like clear tra transactions and uh it, it's <laughs> before i answer this it seems like it's no coincidence that the fed now program by the way if you guys have been watching any of this the fed now program just came out like literally just came out and then the ruling for XRP, like almost happened within days of, of each other. Like the feds finally caught up and were like, like, okay, I guess because China and Europe has this instant transaction uh, technology, we should probably get our old 50, 60 year old uh, technology updated to keep up with this. Because frankly, you guys know the problem, right? You send a check, it takes a day to clear. You you wire money, it doesn't get there till the next day. Like it's, it's just archaic. And so this FedNow program came out uh, as kind of, I would say a call to answer this solution that XRP and a lot of these crypto companies were basically proclaiming like, hey, this is ridiculous. At least with blockchain coins, at least with tokens, cryptocurrencies, when I make a transaction, it happens now, it happens on the chain, there's full transparency. So the Fed now came out and they said, well, we've done that now. We have our digital version of our, our dollar now that you could instantaneously make those transactions and they land in real time. So if you're getting a check from your employer, you don't have to wait till the next day to cash it or to pull the money out. It will be there the moment they can send. So the question from Ashley Taylor is, so XRP won against the SEC. How is that going to shake up the cryptocurrency market? So the reason I gave you that whole background is I don't think I could answer this question without telling you about the FedNow program and telling you kind of how the U.S. has, in combination with the SEC, has kind of put these roadblocks in the way for cryptocurrency so that the dollar, uh, the, the, the reserve currency of the world, could hold its status while this emerging tech was kind of shaking up and disrupting the industry. So I think it, it will long-term affect cryptocurrency. This ruling from the SEC, by the way, just to give you uh, kind of what happened, the SEC filed a lawsuit very early on during the whole crypto wave. XRP was one of the first to get sucked in. It, it drowned the value of their token and we just had a ruling from the uh, judge that the SEC was out of bounds on this and that all transactions that happened 
within a uh, exchange were actually not considered security transactions. However, all transactions that were sold to other uh, cryptocurrencies, like to other platforms or to brokers or to uh, any of these other uh, places, they were considered security transactions. And so a lot of people are like, oh, well, gotcha. You know, that there's the guy. It's like, no, actually, it's not because they are considered uh, uh, educated investors or institutional investors. And so the requirement to do KYCs, the requirement to do certain disclosures or have the security listed with the exchange uh, is almost non-existent uh, with these, uh, what, what would you call them? These company to company or broker to broker transactions. So basically it's a win-win. The, the overall ruling is this is a huge win for XRP. It's a huge win for the crypto uh, market. However, when it happened, there wasn't much that reacted. The only thing that really reacted was XRP's uh, stock price. And XRP's stock price did go through the roof after the ruling. I think that's a valuable uh, takeaway. But Bitcoin has been locked in at the current price. And most cryptocurrencies has have still been dropping to some degree. And I, I have some insight on that also. But um, NFTs have taken a big hit. The industry as a whole is going through a winter. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I actually serve and help start uh, Utah's uh, Innovation and Blockchain Task Force. And the sentiment, even in the, the task force, is kind of stale, like meaning that there's not a lot of new stuff going on. The market's a little shy. People thought that there was, you know, this would just, everything would go to the moon and there'd never be any re redactment or retracement. And there has been. And that's how the industry goes. And now there's all this hype in AI, which frankly happened also like five or six years ago. And it's just, these are the cycles that we go through. These are like the uh, things that happen as we, uh, yeah, as, as we move through the market. So what's what's the play? I think it depends on your outlook. If you're trying to do like a one or two year trade or a one or two year outlook, this isn't going to be great. Like this isn't going to, to place your money in crypto could be a pretty skeptical bet. But if you believe in the industry, you believe in the long-term outlook of crypto being a global exchange, a global currency, um, I think I think it has legs. I think making, you know, don't put all your money into crypto. Don't put all of your money into uh, some token or definitely not an NFT, right? Uh, but if you... You take a small percentage of your overall investments, maybe 10%, and you put it into crypto. I think long-term, that would be a pretty safe bet. And the way I would do it is diversify. I would probably find five, maybe even 10 total assets that you could be investing in. And I would kind of dissect that. I would like uh, distribute evenly. And then I would do what's called balance them at least once a year, where you take your total percentage that you have in each coin. And at the end of every year, you balance it by taking every single coin and you bring it back to that percentage. So if you have a major gain in one coin, a loss in the other, you balance it all out so that the full total dollar amount is balanced equally among the, those five or 10 uh, coins. Anyways, that's, that's how you would typically do it. If you're running a hedge fund uh, and you're allocating other people's money into a, a segment of funds, you would you do the same thing. You would balance the same way. 
All right, great question. Thank you, Ashley. We've got lots of these to go. I do not want to take 10 minutes uh, per question. So let's keep moving through these. So this is from Emma. Oh, another XRP. Let me hold off on that. I don't want to do back-to-back -back XRP questions. Let me come back to that. I'll put that. Emma, we're going to put that back in. But thanks for your uh, your questions. And by the way, guys, if you're listening to this live or you're hearing this uh, later on my podcast, uh, feel free to drop questions in our comments, likes, or you can DM me. Uh, personally on any of my accounts, and I go through these to help curate these questions. This is from Samuel Martinez. He says, with interest rates going up, should I shift my investment strategy towards more interest-sensitive stocks or real estate? Interest-sensitive stocks. Interesting. Like a stock that would be a hedge? Well, I'll answer it the best way I know how. So interest rates are going up. We've probably had the last hoorah around uh, rates and rate hikes, meaning uh, Jerome Powell this week actually did a quarter point rate hike. And next week, or excuse me, between September and November, there will likely be one more rate hike. This is what has been priced into the market already. This is what... Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has already said, uh, multiple members of the committee have also said another quarter point's probably where we're going to end. So will there be, will we, will we be at 5.75? I think the answer is yes. Now, if you're going, well, what stocks should I get into that will be a hedge against this? It's really hard to navigate right now. If you look at the S&P 500, for example, it's a, it's a joke. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I did a, a post actually, I think it was this week or last, where I explained how impractical the market is and how it just doesn't make sense. Even if we have a soft landing, even if like this whole thing sets up and everything looks great in the future, we still have, we're still highly overbought, even with interest rates. Like no one's sentiment has come off of that. And there's still a ton of cash on the sidelines that could be in the market. So what's happened is almost everything has been a safe bet, even with interest rates climbing. If you see the S&P 500, those stocks, well, it is the top seven, but the S&P 500 as a whole has just gone through the roof. It's just skyrocketed. And any of your bets in the top seven stocks would have been a winner. Is that a hedge against inflation? Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, the the things that there are some things that have been a good hedge, but not even as good as the S and P five hundred. Typically, when you have interest rate hikes, things that are strong assets like real estate, gold, silver, commodities, goods, sugar, corn, you know those type of things, flour, uh, typically start to spike because they people are looking for a more secure asset that when rates start to rise and we have inflation uh, at a high, a high rate. That has not happened this time because of the amount of cash that we threw into the market that kind of acted as this uh, balancing effect in the markets. Typically, you would have saw, and if we had not stimulated the market, the S&P 500, most stocks would be in the toilet right now. They would just be garbage. 
and the truth around assets like gold, silver, those likely those prices would have gone up more uh, than they just recently did. So what's, you know, obviously I, I can't give uh, specific trade advice. You need to do your own research. But what stocks or real estate would I be looking at? I would not be looking at real estate. Real estate, if you're financing right now, doesn't make any sense because rates are high, uh, even though inflation's starting to come down. But things like gold and silver, I don't know if you guys have been watching gold and silver, but it has been a safe bet and a strong hedge against inflation and long-term inflation. A lot of people are talking about the second wave that's coming. The sentiment is going to be hitting hard. Banks are going to be coming to kind of a, a crucial point in the next six months and a lot of reaction might happen. Gold and silver might be a place to kind of hold your assets, keep them safe while also hedging against potential future inflation. So uh, yeah, thanks Samuel for that. I think that's a good question. Let's see what else we got in here. Oliver. Oh yes, the BlackRock. So with BlackRock's filing for a Bitcoin ETF, is now the time to get more exposure to Bitcoin through its ETF, or would it be wiser to wait and see? Uh, okay, Oliver. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. Here's here's what I would say about this. BlackRock, so BlackRock filed. They did not get accepted, but they filed for their ETF uh, on Bitcoin, which made the news, bunch of headlines, you know, all of our Bitcoiners and uh, hold all apes, <laughs> as we call them, like these these guys that are part of this crypto community that are holding to last resort or big, maybe Bitcoin supporters or whatever. It just it doesn't matter. Um, BlackRock just filed for an ETF. So what does that mean? Well, they have tons of ETFs, right? They they file these um, ETFs because they hold so much in assets and their clients are demanding a percentage allocation in certain asset classes, one of them happening to be Bitcoin. Well, they finally obviously got enough pressure that they caved and they said, okay, we're going to create an ETF around this. So why would why would Bitcoin react to that? Well, let me tell you why. It has to do with market cap. And it's why a lot of people got rich, including some of the trades I made. I made a fortune in by adoption. So when cryptocurrencies were being adopted by the financial markets as a whole, that was probably one of the biggest moves uh, in like potential profit that you could have made. Be in to a coin, buy into a coin that has not yet been listed or sold by an exchange. Sounds pretty simple. How does that work? Well, let's say I bought into, well, actually I'll give you a real life story. So I bought a, a fun coin called Doge highly pushed by Elon Musk, far before it, the adoption rate on multiple exchanges had happened. I had bought it on a single exchange that happened to have it, but some of the bigger exchanges still did not have it listed. And so what happened is I held my Dogecoin when let's say a big exchange decided to get the allocation, the resources to stockpile holding of Doge, they would have to go buy a bunch of it so that they could provide liquidity inside of their own market pool. So in order for an exchange to operate well, they typically have to buy a bunch and then you know it allows liquidity for the exchange. Well, as these exchanges started buying Doge, guess what happened to the price? The price started going up and you know, as a Doge holder, 
I started making a bunch of profit, right? Well, the same thing happens with any coin. And that's why everyone's getting so excited about this ETF with BlackRock. So here are the factors that you have to consider. How much, how much volume, how much of BlackRock's holdings and their client base are going to want to elect a certain percentage of their portfolio to go into this Bitcoin ETF? What percent? And you got to figure out like how many, you got to guess. And it is a guess. And there are, if you go online, there's some people that are speculating on this. How many millions of dollars are going to go in from BlackRock's allocation, all these other assets and stocks and, and other ETFs, and they're going to get pulled out of that and pushed into this Bitcoin one. How many millions of dollars? And then you, what you want to do is you want to add that million dollars, whatever it is, it could be billions, to the existing market cap of uh, Bitcoin, the existing market cap. And then once you figure that out, you should be able to calculate what the price move will go to, which some people have done. And I've seen some crazy articles. I've seen articles where people are speculating based on the price that it's going to go to that like a tenth of all BlackRock uh, money is going to somehow go into this Bitcoin ETF. Like that's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. So you're not going to see like a moonshot uh, that way. But will there be an increase in price the moment their ETF gets approved? I would have to say yes. Unless there's some crazy black swan event happening around Bitcoin in the industry, uh, the way that the market works, that would be a good play. So should you be stockpiling Bitcoin based on this ETF filing? I would say no, because there have been multiple Bitcoin ETFs that have been rejected after submittal. So there is a high chance that it will get rejected. However, the fact that this has followed XRP's uh, verdict, it's way more likely. In fact, it's probably, if I were to put an X next to it, it's probably three to four times more likely that this ETF will get approved this time because now we don't have the SEC scrutiny that's saying, hey, this is a security. And by listing this, you know, I would be in trouble, blah, blah, blah. We'd have to have it registered uh, because frankly, the exchanges don't want to get in trouble, right? We've got Coinbase. Uh, an exchange who's currently under investigation by the SEC for the same things uh, that they accused XRP for. And frankly, they they're, it's going to cost millions of dollars. I think uh, XRP said it cost almost $100 million to defend their case. So as an exchange, you don't want to list things that you think are going to get you in trouble. Obviously, BlackRock's doing it the right way. They're filing for the approval. I think there's... I think it's a coin toss. I bet you there's a 50-50 chance that this thing gets approved and doesn't. But, uh, you know, obviously do your guys' own homework before you put in your own bets into uh, Bitcoin. Uh, another side note is that ETF approval, everything follows Bitcoin also. So the whole the market as a whole typically moves with Bitcoin, Bitcoin kind of being the leader in the asset class, also Ethereum. But when there's a typical big dump in Bitcoin, you'll typically see micro jumps in almost every other token, every other coin. All right, next, great question. Who's that? Oliver. Yeah, great question, Oliver. James O'Connell. I've heard about investors pulling a whopping 800 million from I-bonds as inflation's slowing down. What's the story there? Interesting. I am not sure about that. 
But I can tell you, I can give you some speculation. If that's true, if there has been 800, oh, it's million. If there have been $800 million being pulled from I-bonds, I can give you an idea. If that's true, I can tell you why it's happening. So I-bonds, uh, in fact, if you've been on this show, there have been a couple of plugs where I've talked about the benefits of having an I-bond. And I-bonds are really unique. Uh, there are bonds, which you get a fixed rate return, right? Like uh, for, I think they're up to like 4% right now, but they were hitting like 5%. They were trading in the market at massive premiums for a while there. But you could buy bonds, you know, five-year, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year bonds at over 4% right now. Well, what happens if inflation is 5%? What happens if inflation's 2%? I mean, it just doesn't matter with an I-bond. An I-bond actually protects you against the inflation. It's a really unique government vehicle that was designed to protect the consumer. It really is a consumer vehicle because it has limitations. I think your limitation is like $11,000 a year. So if you're going to invest you know, a ton of money, you're only going to be able to put 11000 of it into an I-bond. But one of the unique things about an I-bond is it actually protects you against inflation. It actually has this measure that if inflation goes up, your rate actually hedges against that. It's this really a brilliant tool that the government put in place to get consumers to put their money in bonds. But it was, I think it was during like uh, the 80s when we were going through high inflation. People were like, I don't... Great. So you're going to give me a special bond, but inflation's still higher than the return. And the government was like, you know what? We'll create this new structure that actually hedges against that. So you'll always get a return on top of whatever the posted inflation is. So why would people be pulling from I-bonds right now? Well, everything's pointing to soft landing right now. You could say, and I, I am actually saying publicly, that Jerome Powell has done his job. In fact, he's coming out, you know, the, the victor in a way. He got so much criticism that he couldn't do this job, that he was doing it wrong. It was going to crash the economy. Everything was going to go sideways. And if you look around, it's kind of shocking. Like we're used to, we're used to kind of erratic behaviors. And this has probably been one of the softest landings we've had and an economic shakeup, you know, with the pandemic, tons of money getting printed, economy shutting down. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened. And for us to, you know, hit the jumpstart button and have things go back to the way they are now, it's pretty miraculous. It, I mean, really, it is. To show that the Federal Reserve has this much power and has done a good job of it is, is kind of mind-blowing. Now, that doesn't, I know a lot of you are shaking your head like, well, I don't trust it. And I get that. Like, it doesn't mean we don't have a debt problem. It doesn't mean that we don't have a spending problem. It doesn't mean that we're not robbing the lower and middle class and taxing the hell out of them with inflation. I get that. But as far as settling the economy and keeping the Federal Reserve currency, uh, the dollar strong and uh, the, the dominant currency in the world, uh, we've done that even with the BRICS coming up. So the reason I-bonds are pulling out is because if inflation, if Jerome Powell's done his job and he's got inflation to tame, which you guys have heard the reports this month, inflation is like at an all-time two-year low, people are going to start pulling out of bonds. 
especially if they need the cash. So these are not sophisticated investors. I bond investors are typical consumers. And if you're needing the money and inflation's already coming down, you're not getting the benefit of the I bond. You're only getting a, you know, the four or 5% return that it's, you know, marked at because of inflation. You're going, well, I could get that with a CD or money market account and I would have more access to my cash. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if some of that money is people just pulling out. Some of it may be the squeeze that's happened to the lower class, middle class, that they're just needing the money to pay their, their bills. And then some of it's going to be the termination or the end, the normal just churn of I-bonds coming, the dollar amounts coming out of the market. So uh, James, I think that's what's happening. Is now a good time to buy I-bonds. I think we might be past that. The good time to buy was a year ago, six months ago when inflation was still high. Um, we don't have the threat of inflation really on us yet. I would watch for more printing. And if there's news that the people sitting up at the White House are going to go on a spending spree again, then something like this might be a good vehicle if if inflation looks like another thing that's going to hit, which also I believe will happen. I think we're going to have a second wave. It may not be as bad, but we will have a second wave of inflation again, opinion, we will have a second wave of inflation in like a two to three year period. All right. Uh, question from Fatima Al-Khalid. Can you guys shed some light on how this I-bond pullout might impact other financial areas like stock markets and commodities? Uh, yeah, gosh, that post must have really got some attention. So the I-bond pullout, it's just not that much money. I know it sounds like a lot of money. And to me, it feels like if I had $800 million, that'd be a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things with billions of people in this country, that's not that much money. It's just not. Uh, $800 million in pullout is not that much money. Is it going to flow to other stocks or commodities? Maybe. My spec, my opinion is some of that's probably going to just pay bills. Some of that's just going to survival, like people pulling from their retirement and investment accounts just to survive. Um, costs are higher, significantly higher than they were even a year or two ago. And people who are strapped living month to month already, they're going to have to start pulling from accounts. And this might be what's uh, happening. I, I don't see any correlation, at least now between like, if I were to pull money out of an I-bond, what would I put it into as an alternative? Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't actually have a good answer for that. So on to the next question. And just, just trying to be honest with you guys, I don't wanna give you guys bad advice. Ella Fitzgerald, I'm curious about the long-term consequences of investors pulling out. Ugh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk about I-bonds anymore. Sorry. Uh, Ella. Rick Henderson, can anyone explain why the Fed's decision to push up interest rates up to five and a half percent? What is the reasoning behind it? Yeah, so it's it's not like maybe you caught the news and you're like, what? Five and a half percent. Well, no, this has been an increment, an incremental increase, right? We didn't just go from two to five overnight. We did some three quarter point rate hikes, half point, 
Now we've been slowly doing quarter point increments. This is kind of the tapering effect to like, as they say, soft land, bring the plane down, the economy plane down and land it softly without a crash and burn, right? So the reason the Fed's increased rates is we still have inflation over 2%. Now, some people are saying that the Feds will just have to get okay with maybe 3% inflation every year. I'm not buying it. We have so much data that 3% does not work, that 2% is the number. And for the Feds to be okay, even at you know 4% right now, yes, it's dropped significantly. We've had a ton of money come off, uh, or excuse me, a ton of uh, inflation come off, but it doesn't mean that prices haven't, and prices went up, and we've had really some deflation, but a lot of prices are still going up and some prices have come down, but more have gone up than down. So we're still in an inflationary period, but we're okay. It's really important to understand that we're okay with inflation. We actually price it in. It's very common in a growing economy to price in about a 2% inflation. 3% will not work, and we are above 3%, so we will keep hiking rates until we get there. Now, I think we're going to go sideways for a while. We will probably go sideways till September or November. Then there'll be another rate hike, and then we might go sideways for six to eight months would be my prediction, meaning 2024 is going to be a pretty calm yet eerie, what's, how are things going? How are... Are we going to have to start stimulating? Are we going to have to start uh, bringing rates down? I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Um, the play with interest rates is always bonds. The moment bonds start to drop or the moment rates start to drop, bonds will be worth a ton. They'll be worth way more the moment the rates start coming down. So there's going to be a lot of people trying to time that. But we will see another quarter point rate hike, Rick. And the main reason behind it is that the Feds, uh, it's the, this is their job. If you, if we, what, what is worse than a poor economy is high inflation. It's worse. It sounds crazy, but if you have runaway inflation, you have nothing. You have a dollar that becomes valueless. You have printing to keep up with inflation uh, that just starts to go insane, and then you have hyperinflation, and then. The entire economy blows up as a whole. It's better to go through a recession, even a close to or, or deep recession, maybe depression, than it is to have high interest rates for long periods of time. And so that's why the feds are so concerned about this. I get the short-term effects, but it's just not worth it. The long-term uh, effects of high inflation is, an, is literally an Armageddon. It literally is. Not to have people panic, but that's that's why the feds fight it so hard. Jacob W., uh, given the massive withdrawals from banks, oh, that I know what this is about. Would it be smart to move to invest in non-banking financial sectors or perhaps fintech companies? Fintech is the same thing. If you're in a fintech uh, bank or if you're in a, a digital bank that doesn't have a physical presence, it's the same thing, same rules. So you're not really getting any benefits there. Um, the withdrawals, so what happened, and I'm trying to think what the data was. I think it was 80, 82 billion. Don't quote me on this, guys, but it was like over $80 billion 
got pulled out of the market uh, last week. In fact, let me, since my live isn't working on here, let me pull that up and see what it was. I believe it was 82 billion. But I just want to get this for you guys so you know. 78. So $78 billion came out last week in a single week, which is a ton of money. Meaning like if you took the total aggregate or you can call it banking market cap if you wanted, but if you took the total aggregate of all deposits held in all bank accounts, that went down $78 billion last week. Meaning every account in every bank in the U.S., and actually all holdings dropped by $78 billion. So what's, it's huge news, by the way. What the heck is going on, right? There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in this. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that happened, and I, I posted about this this week, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, was so concerned about this that he actually issued a warning. And I'll tell you why he did it. He I think he's on the hunt. By the way, Chase is probably one of the best managed banks uh, in the world. Uh, I'm not saying there's not political favors or things going on that gives them those benefits, but they are very well uh, managed. And Jamie Dimon is kind of the celebrity chair banker. I mean, right now he is because the way that they handle their assets, the way they do stress tests, they're probably one of the, you're, not, you're just not, I would be really surprised to see JP Morgan Chase uh, suffer through some future finance or to be one of the first. They'll be one of the last. They just, they stress test all the time. However, this full, all these deposits dropping in other banks has JP Morgan concerned also because if, if other banks aren't fiscally responsible, if they're not marking to market their bond holdings, if they're not looking at like their total uh, liabilities that are coming in the next year and looking at deposits that are sitting in their bank and going, are we going to be able to manage this if we have a 10% pullout in bank deposits? And if they're not stress testing this and going, oh, we're going to lose a ton of money in bonds uh, by doing that. We'll have to sell off a ton of these. We'll have to take advantage of this government program and push it off into this futures thing that they're doing. But reg regardless of all of that, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these banks. And the withdrawals that happened last week are, and Jamie Dimon touched on this, are a reaction to the percentage return you're getting for keeping your money in the bank. Like, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of you keeping your money in, in a bank when there are other asset classes far outperforming Right. I hear about these banks. You know, I have a I have a brokerage account that gives me almost five percent a year, just having my cash balance sitting there, not even trading it. And so what, what would be the benefit of me keeping my money in a local regional bank when I can get five, almost five percent for my cash sitting in a brokerage account? It just it makes no sense. And so what's happening is. I think a lot of cash is coming out of accounts and going into other asset classes that have a higher return because it just doesn't make sense to park your cash in something that you're not getting returned. Second is we are not 
we're not through this soft landing. Let me let me tell you what I'm seeing in our area, in our region, and with companies and spending and like the catch-up. One thing I know is debt pile-up credit cards, credit card debt is higher than it's ever been. Meaning that uh, consumer debt is at an all-time high. So bills are going up. People's pressure to pay them is going up. And so the dollar amount needed is going up. So that would naturally have a draw on accounts. I've also noted kind of this double down mentality that's happening in companies where revenues are dropping. They just are. Like this is this is global, but it's also nationally. Even, even the top seven revenues are dropping. It's, it's this fascinating thing that's happening. Yet stock prices are still climbing. Like the revenue to income or the revenue to market cap ratio is insane these another conversation for another time but going back to this this bank issue this withdrawal issue people and, and consumers and businesses i think are kind of doubling down i'm seeing a lot of people doing like these last hurrahs vacations trips to you know the beach disneyland whatever they're kind of like doing this last spend, even though they don't have the money. And I'm noticing companies doing the same thing. They're like doubling down on their marketing, spending twice as much on marketing because it's not working. The revenues aren't coming in. So they have the cash sitting on the sidelines. So they just are dumping in to keep their numbers up, I guess. But their return is just not the same as it was either. So there's a lot of this going on. And I think that's what's causing the withdrawals. It's not just they're putting it under their mattress. They're actually spending it. I think a lot of this is uh, going to expenses, tax increases. Uh, we're, we're seeing just the cost of goods and services in all areas going up, fuel going way up. And so I think people are just spending more. To have it happen the way it did in a single week uh, is unique. And, and I think JP Morgan uh, CEO, Jamie Dimon, I think he's correct. I think banks need to start creating some incentives to get people to keep their money in accounts. But uh, you combine this with the $208 billion in hidden losses from banks, these like bond holdings that when they mark to market, it's like there are billions of dollars in losses that they have not accrued yet. If there are runs on the bank, you will see banks close. You know, I, I'm not mainstream media. I can say whatever the heck I want on here. I'm not trying to cause a bank run, but I'm trying to be honest with you guys. One plus one equals two. And if you have more decreases in withdrawals from banks, you have more defaults from bank holdings like CREs, future. At some point, something's got to give. And I would not be surprised uh, to see bank banks, uh, future bank closures, like a couple more hit uh, closure. And you, you could probably time and, and watch. Here's some maybe trade advice around this or some tips that you could go out and do some research on. You could probably identify those banks by looking at who has the highest CRE holdings and those banks over the next couple years are probably going to be the ones that get hit the hardest in terms of price. Like their revenues are going to drop. You'll probably hear threats about them having to shut down. They may actually shut down. 
And so there might be some good shorts to be putting on banks uh, that have really high percentage CRE holdings. So there you go. Gosh, I have a ton of questions left, guys. I apologize. But we've got 15 more, 15 more minutes. I'll get through as many of these as I can. All right. Uh, Charlie R., the Fed hiked interest rates. Is that in response to this $205 billion losses? No, they're not correlated. So I did a post on this $205 billion in losses that banks uh, have hidden is really what it is that they're not they're not marked to market. I don't know how else to say it. They're not marked to market. And what I mean by that is, let's say you bought a house. A lot of people don't understand this concept of mark to market. So the banks are co currently holding assets that they're in a, the negative on, but they legally don't have to disclose that. They legally don't. And so when you're seeing profits and loss statements from these banks, it does not include these hidden losses because they're not forced to mark to market their bond holdings that are frankly in the garbage right now because they bought bonds at two, three percent years ago. And now these four, four and a half percent bonds, if they had to sell them, they would sell their old bonds at a discount, taking a loss. It's just how it works. It would be like you buying your house right now and then the market dropping 25 percent but somehow you could lie to the bank that your house is still worth the same as it was when you first bought it and then that bank gives you a uh you know a line of credit on your house on the old value not the marked to market value of today and that's what's happening in banks how did this happen? I don't quite know, but it's some clever accounting uh, that legally was allowed. And now these banks are ha having to show, they don't. They still don't have to report it in their balance sheets on returns, but they do have to show their mark-to-market bonds because there is a lot of fear that these banks are going to buckle. And we want that public uh, information. So Bank of America was on the top of the list. They have over $100 billion in mark-to-market losses. Like if depositors, at, oh, this is really scary to say. Actually, I can see why I can see why the news is not covering this. But if depositors at Bank of America left Bank of America, it would likely shut its doors. It would likely shut its doors. And the reason is is because they cannot cover the losses. They 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 have a hundred billion dollars in losses that if they had to sell today, they would experience a loss. That doesn't mean that they would experience a loss long-term. They actually wouldn't. These bonds are worth money, right? But they come to maturity and, you know, they, they probably bought 10-year, 15-year, 20-year. You know, they bought these long-term bonds, but they probably don't come to maturity for five, seven, 10 years. And so they're going to have to wait to get that profit. Well, guess what? If I'm a depositor, if I'm someone who's got money at Bank of America, I want my money out now. I legally have the right to ask for it now. I don't have to wait for that bond that you took with my money to buy to come to maturity. I don't have to do that. And so that's what causes these runs on the bank. And so not correlated, uh, Charlie, to Fed rate hikes. The Fed's raising interest rates, if anything, makes this problem worse. Uh, that's what I would say. Another inch, this interest rate hike just made things work. 
uh, worse. The next interest rate hike will make things worse because if rates are going up, bonds, the value that we're selling bonds at, the government selling bonds that goes up also, which devalues your old bond that you bought for less. And if people are saying, I want my money now, you have to sell those bonds, liquidate assets so that you can give your customers their deposits back. And you will likely, uh, a lot of banks are taking significant losses. And so that's where this 208 or $205 billion in losses, they're not real losses yet. They're, but if you had to sell today, it would be a $205 billion loss. Does that, I think that, that makes sense. Okay, so let's go through the next one. Great questions, by the way. These are, and I'm so hot on the topics because I just did these topics uh, this last week and this is all very relevant. Uh, Ava Martinez, now that XRP has won its lawsuit, what's the investor sentiment like? Is confidence in cryptos with similar regulatory issues going up? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I serve on a state blockchain innovation task force uh, where we get together with the top leaders and thinkers around blockchain technology in the state. And I would say sentiment definitely is going up. This, this win with XRP was a huge win for the industry. What XRP did for the industry was enormous. And I don't know what fully the SEC's uh, intentions were. You know, we can all speculate what that was like. Uh, we still have this FTX issue with Sam Bankman-Fried that's kind of unraveling and still has a lot of people hurt, like really hurt and will not get their money back uh, or at least all of it. So there's, there is a lot of collateral damage that's happened in the industry. It's very common with emerging tech or emerging uh, markets like this. But I think XRP, it's a huge win for the US. We're seeing other countries also react to this verdict. And it just means that all verdicts going, what happens in the courts is judges like to agree with each other. They don't like to do things that are inconsistent, one with the law, but also inconsistent with other rulings based on the interpretation of the law. And this ruling is a huge win for the industry, even though we haven't seen the cash movement in the industry really happen yet. XRP had a great uh, jump, a massive jump actually after the ruling, but outside of that, not, not that much. All right, great question. Thank you, Ava. Daniel Atkami. Uh, the question is, China and Russia are pushing for BRICS. What does that mean for the dollar value and the Federal Reserve's decisions? Yeah, uh, BRICS, the BRICS system is, is being hyped a lot right now. We've been, they've been talking about this system for a long time. It is no question it's a threat to the dollar. No question. There are a lot of uh, countries that have already subscribed and said, we're we're going to participate in the BRICS system. We're going to be using this rather than the dollar. They're going to... it, it is a threat. The, there's no way to say it other than the BRICS system is a threat to the dollar. And how will this affect Federal Reserve decisions? It, it just won't. The Federal Reserve, their job is not... 
It's to stabilize the currency. It's not to make it the dominant force in the country. Meaning the Federal Reserve isn't going to make laws on how China takes our dollar. The Federal Reserve isn't going to make laws on how our military defends the ocean so that people use the dollar. That's done through uh, the legislative process. And, you know, hand in hand, it got weaved together really well to create a Federal Reserve uh, currency that is the world's reserve currency. I mean, really the world reserve currency. And it used to be the uh, paid for oil, right? You had to, in order to buy oil, you had to go through dollars, which put tons of uh, value in the dollar propping up Americans. BRICS is a threat to that. What does that mean for U.S. citizens? It means to get used to having less. I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. We have had really great times because of World War II. Uh, since World War II and some of our changes in our currencies uh, or in, in how our, our currency has evolved and come off of dollar, excuse me, gold reserve to then uh, our economy weight. So our currency is actually based on our economy now and GDP. It's not based on anything substantial. You know, you used to, you used to be able to trade in a dollar for a certain amount of gold. The BRICS system is threatening to do that. The BRICS system is threat, and it is a threat, is threatening to say, look, you'll get this and you'll be able to exchange it back for gold. We will be holding a large chunk of gold reserves that you'll be able to exchange for this uh, cash uh, or printed money. Uh, there's some geopolitical issues that I would also mention about this. What we have done in Ukraine is a mess. What we've done to force Russia's, I mean, I really think the U.S. forced Russia to go to war with Ukraine. We could unpackage all of that in another conversation, but what's happening is we have started a war that has pushed Russia onto U Ukraine and we forced Russia to be closer partners with China, which is a massive threat to the dollar. It's a massive threat to America as an economy as a whole, the people who live here, our well-being, our uh, the value of of the dollar asset, it's it's just a massive threat. And this war that we've pushed will balance. If you're for equality, you're gonna get it. Meaning the rest of the world is going to get more of U.S. dollars or more of the value that's being spread among the planet. And so what I mean by that is salaries will, in the next decade, will likely drop in this country. It will likely go up in other countries. This We are retracting from this globalization. I think we are waking up to this like, oh my gosh, we went too, we went too far. This effort that we're seeing clearly has hurt Americans hurt taxpayers is not good for America. We are retracting. We're trying to bring things back into this country. We've outsourced way too much. But the BRICS is just another jab. It's another stab at like the dollar not being the denominating force on the planet. And I don't think the dollar is going to go away anytime soon, but I do think it's going to get weaker. And I think other people, smart people, other countries, 
are going to look for other assets to hold their money in, other currencies to hold their cash in outside of the dollar, where the dollar for the last 50 years has really been the safe place. People loved the dollar. And that's why our country has done so well. That's why we live in single family homes rather than sharing 2,000 square feet with an entire family. Like that's how most of the rest of the world lives. And that's what we're going to lose. So again, if you're all about equality, we're going to get more of that. It just doesn't mean equality in America. It means equality among the planet. And if you look at the inequality in incomes on a global scale, it's massive. Why? And with all this new remote stuff that's happened, the pandemic that's happened, we've learned we can have executives in other countries. I can have my CEO in India and I can pay him half what I pay someone in the U.S. And there's nothing illegal about that. In fact, it it's he's just as qualified. And so I can get into immigration reform also and how we, we need to start incentivizing the right people to come to this country. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. But the long story short is BRICS is a threat. It's not going away. It will continue to be a threat. Our political actions in Ukraine have made that call for the BRICS system even stronger. It, is, it has made our geopolitical tensions higher, and it really has devalued the dollar. So you can thank your elected officials for this. If you want to do something about it, I would start writing letters. I would start demanding that whoever is running our country, making decisions in Congress, is actually looking at how we're spending and looking at how we're preserving the value of the dollar. Because if you start to lose that, it weighs on every American in this country. And it's going to be it's going to be expensive. It'll be more than what just happened in the last inflationary period. And if you're feeling the effects of that, like we've just gotten started. So yeah, great, great question. Sorry for the tangent on that, Dan. Uh, yeah, great question. Um, let me skip that one. Noah, we'll come back if we've got some extra time. Oh, I got, I got time for one more. We're right at the end of this. Tom Jensen, hey, I am trying to understand the bigger picture. What does the seventy-eight billion withdrawal from bank accounts mean for our economy? I think I covered that pretty well. <clears throat> Michael, oh, excuse me, Michelle Louie. Yeah, another question about the bank losses. I get, everyone's worried and I get this. This is why you don't hear on legacy news right now, the truth about bank runs, even though they could get tons of clicks, it would literally cause a bank run. And as you can see, most of my questions, comments are coming in about like, what, what about this bank stuff? What is this 78 billion dollars in withdrawals? Am I, is my money safe in a bank? And the, the answer is your money is always safer in a bigger bank that has less CRE holdings. Uh, I'm not going to make any solicitation to some of those banks. Some of those banks I actually do not like uh, because of some of their, their uh, other agendas that they have. But some of them do a much better job with their management also in stress testing. Uh, Chin, Chin Wei, with a slowdown in inflation and the pullout uh, on bonds, what's going to be the ripple effect on the bond market and investment strategies? Oh, interesting. Uh, yes. So we've talked about this before, but I think this is a, value, a good, a great place to end on. 
as as interest chin when interest rates uh settle if inflation comes back down to a level that the feds are happy with some people are saying they're gonna have to settle at three percent i don't think they're gonna do that it's gonna be two but once we get inflation down and we're done with rate hikes what happens to bonds is there's a direct correlation between the value of bonds and interest rates. There always has been. And when we start to lower rates, the value of a long-term bond that's at a high rate becomes more valuable because if I'm lowering rates over here, if I need to buy a bond, it's gonna be less than a bond that someone may have bought at 10 years back here. Let me explain that a little, a little better. If I were buying a bond today, bonds are trading at four plus percent, right? I could get that bond and in 10 years, I could cash it in and I'm gonna get 4% a year on this bond at maturity, right? I'm gonna get the full lump sum. Awesome, I made 4% guaranteed, government backed, probably one of the safest investments you can make. Well, if I did that and then rates started dropping and insurance companies are common buyers, banks are common buyers, right? There's massive institutions that buy these bonds. But now bonds are selling at 3% for 10 years. But there's this guy over here who's like, hey, I got this 4% bond. If you're interested in that extra 1%, it's going to make you X more over you know, this time period. But because it's 1% higher than your bond that you can buy now, I'll sell it to you now at a premium, a short-term premium. And so you can actually make a ton of money short-term selling these long-term bonds that you bought at a much higher percent. And so buying bonds at a high rate, waiting for the rates to drop off and then selling them at a low rate or, or selling them when rates are low, you can actually make a significant amount of profit. And there are actually some correlations of this. There, I believe it's like for every uh, quarter point drop is a quarter point drop is like a one to two percent lift in like whatever the underlying asset is so if you go a full percentage point you can get somewhere between seven and ten percent uh increase in the value of your bond for every one percent that the market drops so we've gone up three percent right if you were to drop three percent potentially i'm not saying you know do the math yourself but if you did a one percent one to two percent quarter point get a seven to 10% for full point, you're talking 21 to 30% increase in value of the bond that you've been holding. So obviously, rates don't drop that fast. They could, they could, you know, don't mark my words on this. They'll typically drop fast and then slow, uh, or, you know, you'll kind of see this bell curve and like the rates. If we're going to start dropping rates, they're typically going to be slow. You saw it happen in the last uh, decline. It was quarter point, six months months, maybe a year later, another quarter point. So the value and how fast they drop doesn't happen very quick. But if it did happen really quick, it would be a major win for bondholders who bought bonds recently. So yeah, great question, guys. Chin, uh, thanks for ending us out. Got through most of these. I'm about halfway. We'll do this again next month. I really like this. This is kind of a fun format, way to mix things up. But uh, just want to thank our viewers for being on here. Thanks for your comments. Uh, if you have any questions like this on any of the posts that I do throughout the week, feel free to add them to the comments section uh, in my YouTube channel, or if you're following me on TikTok or on Insta 
uh, Instagram. You can direct DM me with any of these questions about my posts. And I'll just accumulate them over the next month. And we'll do this again uh, in 30 days. So thanks for being on here. Again, Matthew Pohl, Market Pulse Podcast. And we will see you guys same time, same place uh, next week. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next week. Bye.